I'm Brian Kilmeade. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm David Asman, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. I'm Trey Yingst. After a coup this week in Burma, there are new calls for international law to be respected. By most accounts, the world was sort of caught off guard by what happened in Burma, and the Burmese military followed a very familiar, you know, coup playbook that we've seen all around the world. This is the Fox News Rundown, Evening Edition. Burmese police have ordered Aung San Suu Kyi to stay in custody until February 15th. The 75-year-old leader was arrested during a raid early Monday morning as the military seized control of the country. Suu Kyi is being accused of illegally importing communications equipment, though no evidence has been presented so far to show she broke any laws. Overnight, the U.S. State Department formally designated the takeover as a coup, calling for the release of Suu Kyi. The coup designation is significant because it affects U.S. aid to Burma, also known as Myanmar. In 2020, the country received $185 million in American aid. Today, G7 foreign ministers condemn the events, expressing deep concern and saying the November election results must be respected. Burma's new leader, General Min Aung Lang, is currently under U.S. sanctions for attempting genocide. In the early hours of Monday morning, uh, Burma's security forces detained a number of senior elected political leaders, chief ministers, and other sort of pro-democracy activists in the capital. For more on this topic, this is Foundation for Defense of Democracy's Asia scholar, Craig Singleton. As well as across the country, and among those were uh, State Counselor Aung San Suu Kyi, who is the more or less titular leader of the entire country, um, and as well as a number of her deputies. And so um, one of the things that's been interesting is as a result of all those detentions on Monday, uh, the military announced on TV that the armed forces had taken control of all of the country's political institutions and that the first vice president uh, of the old administration uh, had transferred all authority, so executive, legislative, and judicial, to the military for a period of one year. And the military sort of justified its coup uh, by alleging widespread voter fraud in the November 2020 elections. And so they claimed that they had a, a constitutional mandate to take over the country in a time of emergency. And we've seen condemnation for this coup from around the world, not only the Biden administration, but also a joint statement today by the G7 foreign ministers condemning the events and expressing their concern and calling on those election results from November to be respected. This is a big challenge for the new administration in Washington and something that so far has not really had any major development from the perspective of the Americans. We know that Burma receives more than $180 million a year in U.S. aid. There are deep foreign relations from the State Department. I mean, what responsibility does President Biden have to not only make statements, but even go a step further in this coup to ensure that democracy is being respected for the Burmese people? Well, I think you bring up a good point about the statements from other world leaders. Um, by and large, from other democratic-leaning countries, there has been a strong call to um, not only release uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, but also to, um, for the military to hand back over power. Uh, however, at the same time, I do think we, we sort of have to recognize that China and Russia today at the United Nations 
were able to hold off a Security Council resolution condemning what occurred there. So what we're really seeing in a place like Burma is what political scientists, international relations kind of junkies would, would sort of say is that great power competition and action. And so what's happening is sort of the first test of the current administration's Indo-Pacific strategy uh, and sort of the steps that they're going to take as a result of it. Over the last few weeks, I think we've seen a number of foreign policy crises that have sort of surfaced. Um, the arrest of the Russian opposition leader. You had China making really provocative military incursions into Taiwanese airspace. You have this event in Burma. What a lot of these things have to do with is that, that classic divide between G7 countries, democracies, and these more authoritarian regimes, and that battle for ideas. And this, in this case, I would say that Burma really represents a sort of a battle space um, where we're seeing these sort of competing views and how and how we're sort of going to address this. I think, um, by most accounts, the world was sort of caught off guard by what happened in Burma, and the Burmese military followed a very familiar, you know, coup playbook that we've seen all around the world, right? They, they cut off um, international communications and media, and they closed banks to prevent a run on them, which is sort of reminiscent of something that's occurred in the past. There's a curfew that's now in place, and this morning they charged uh, Aung San Suu Kyi with uh, crimes for having illegal radios in her, in her home, which um, it sort of, it goes to its natural conclusion, right? she could spend years in prison. And so I think the biggest challenge for the U.S. government right now is if the broader pivot to taking a more aggressive approach on China is something that's going to be sort of consistent from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, and if Team Biden uh, felt that the former administration wasn't doing it particularly well, how exactly um, you evaluate Biden's approach and what the State Department and the White House have been saying. This is this is sort of where the rubber meets the road. Um, the, the, the State Department and the White House were publicly referring to the situation in Burma as a coup. They're threatening sanctions against the Bur uh, Burmese military, but you have to contrast that with China's approach, um, which was much more measured. Um, Beijing put out a statement saying that they want to they're in the process of understanding the situation. They expressing they express hope, right, that all sides can appropriately handle their differences. All of Burma's neighbors, uh, we should mention, issued very hands-off statements, uh, which is really consistent with how Southeast Asia, uh, as a whole, sort of has a non-interference policy. So the U.S. government looks at this and says, "Are we already out of messaging sync with our partners in the region?" And is China, uh, because they aren't coming out and talking about sanctions, sort of running a lap around us? And what does that mean? Well, China was already sort of getting their claws into Burma for a really long time economically. They're building a port infrastructure in a place like Burma, which is really, really important um, from a regional perspective. There are also media reports out there that the Chinese may be seeking a military presence in a place like Burma, which would give them reach throughout the Indo-Pacific. And so beyond the, um, the, the challenge of defending democracy and the United States' role in bringing about democracy in Burma, there are sort of broader geopolitical uh, considerations at play. You've been listening to the Foundation for Defense of Democracy's Asia scholar, Craig Singleton. We'll be right back. You bring up an interesting point about the G7 countries, including the statements that we've seen from the Biden administration, 
taking really concerned statements, but not really going a step further when you have these long-term strategic plays by countries like China in the Indo-Pacific region. And I guess my question is, what's your take on what this sort of soft, immediate approach means for the U.S. image around the world? I think that it's it's unique that the Chinese are pushing for dialogue right now rather than sanctions, simply because when you look at this from a, a PR perspective, someone at a glance may say, well, the Chinese want to see diplomacy prevail, and ultimately they think they, they can find a solution moving forward. But the reality, is, as you note, is that the Chinese are exerting their influence not only in Burma, but around the world sort of quietly building infrastructure and setting up possible military bases in the future. So, I mean, what sort of strong example does the United States need to set today as it relates to the coup in Burma? And how could that benefit the Americans moving forward? You know, I think this is an example where we can actually, if we take a step back, we're, I think we're sort of seeing that the new administration is falling into some old traps. The idea that there that there needs to be a, a very strong response out of the gate, which which may actually be counterproductive here. I think in immediately declaring that there was a quote coup in Burma, whether we believe that to be the case or not, you know, the United States has very much sacrificed um, negotiating leverage here. Um, Burma's military outlasted decades of U.S. sanctions in the past. They remain very powerful. For what reason now would they engage in any sort of constructive dialogue with the United States um, as a means to sort of mediate a peaceful solution? If they can maybe now go to China, who's sitting there and saying, look, we're all interested in diplomacy. It's a much more muted response. It's quasi non-judgmental, and there's no interference there. I think that's, that's sort of the challenge for us rhetorically is, do we have to go to that level of severity right out of the gate? And is it ultimately self-defeating, especially because we're out there by ourselves now. None of our other Indo-Pacific partners um, in that exact vicinity, um, maybe the exception of Japan, if we want to go to the G7 statement, came out and said anything along these lines. So it makes That makes it a lot of sense, as if, yeah. Right. And, and so it makes it appear as if we're the outlier now. Um, how can we possibly call for dialogue when the Chinese are sitting there and saying, look, we, ju- we just want to get to the bottom of it. And I think the problem here um, is you lose negotiating leverage. And we could have approached the scenario a little differently, I think, uh, had we maybe immediately come out and done something shockingly similar to what the Chinese did, try to immediately understand the situation, try to get the, the different groups and uh, together, present ourselves as some sort of a, a neutral mediator that we just want to get to the bottom of it. And the reason that the Chinese pursued that approach is because they understand two key realities about Burma, right? The first is that apart from a popular uprising, which at present appears unlikely, you know, Aung San Suu has no leverage over her captors. And second, the last thing most Burmese citizens want is for this to devolve into violence. They already lived through decades of trauma at the hands of their military captors. And so by talking about dialogue, it actually ensures that China is going to retain influence in Burma, regardless of whether the military stays in power. Um, and influence is the very thing that the United States had hoped to capitalize as part of its nascent counter-China strategy. And at present, um, 
it, that sort of looks like it's going to be a real challenge. Yeah. My my last question for you has to do with something you mentioned here at the end, and that is the civilians, uh, Burmese civilians who have lived through decades of conflict and have seen military leaders who are now sanctioned by the United States for being accused of genocide taking power in the country. How can the international community as a whole ensure that the situation doesn't unravel into uh, into violence and you sort of alluded to it with the chinese approach in terms of stressing dialogue out of the gate but does this protect civilians by drawing a red line to say we're going to start with dialogue we're not going to start with intervention or or a military approach to this situation i I think that at the end of the day our ability to really project into a place like Burma, uh, just given the dearth of ties, and really our lack of influence there sort of puts us at a little bit of a disadvantage. Um, we have been making these strides in really building up people-to-people ties in a place like Burma, investing a lot in building up civil society, attempting to sort of counter uh, China's economic offers with offers in the United States from the the International Defense, uh, uh, sorry, Development Finance Corporation, DFC, to sort of offer a, an alternative. I think that one of the big issues that we're going to unfortunately face here is that we we don't have a lot, a tremendous amount of credibility or influence. The good news, if there is any, is that our partners like Japan have for decades been investing in relationships both with the Burmese military, Burmese civil society and the people, and on Sun Tzu Chi's party, the, the NLD. And this, unfortunately, may be a scenario where um, we do what we can at this point to sort of support the Japanese to come about some sort of a constructive dialogue. But at the end of the day, it didn't have to be that way. And we could have been sort of leading this, this charge within the broader region when we talk about an Indo-Pacific strategy, though, this being the first test out of the gate. Um, it'll be interesting to see sort of if there is a general reflection within the government um, and within the administration about could we have done this better. And I would say that the one thing that's really holding them back is the lack of people who have either been confirmed into national security roles or nominated. And so if you don't have people in seat who can respond, it can be it can be really challenging. Really appreciate your analysis on this topic and the events that have unfolded this week. A great conversation today. Craig Singleton, an Asia scholar at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Craig, thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Trey. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Thank you. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.